Welcome to the I Am Hunter podcast. Uh, I don't know what number it is, but um, we've done quite a few of these. But uh, this time we're going to be talking to a, a bit of an Aussie legend. Um, these guys, uh, uh, the, the brothers, um, have been writing articles and stuff and part of the hunting community in Australia for a, a lot of years. Um, and I'm talking about Craig Merton from Merton Outdoors. And uh, so myself and Tash are going to have call him in a second, um, and he's done some interesting stuff lately, Tash. Yeah, we're going to talk to him about his trip to Africa that he went on just before everything started happening with viruses Turning around the crap. world. Yeah, <laughs> and half half the world couldn't hunt anymore. He was one of the last travelers around the world. <laughs> yeah, that's right. All right, let's try and get him on online now. Here we go. Craig, how are you, mate? Going well, mate. How are you going? Yeah, very well, very well. I've got I've got um, Tash here with me, mate. So you got Rod and Tash. Hi, Craig. Um, G'day, Tash. How are you going? I'm good. How are you? I'm good, good. <laughs> uh, so we've got, um, hopefully, Beck sent through to you a, a, like a little bit of a brief about, um, you know, just some of the things that we'd like to have a chat to you, to you about today. Um and, uh, and of course, most of that revolves around hunting, of which uh, many of us, due to COVID, can't do uh, much of at, at the present time. Um, but how about we kick off um, just telling us about who is Craig Merton and, and what do you do and uh, where are you from, you know, and, and that type of information to give, fill in some gaps for the people who, there's probably only a few in Australia that don't know the Merton brothers, but, um, but I'm sure people would love to hear about you, mate. Oh, no, no worries, Rod. Um, no, it's, I don't know whether it's been a very colourful start to the, the hunting career and that sort of thing, but I was brought up um, on Little Island just off the coast of South Australia, Rod Kangaroo Island, yep. which a lot of people know. And uh, it was sort of the outdoors side of things was um, we were a fishing family. The old man was a professional fisherman and we were... The outdoors was never pushed on us, but we were all brought up as there was four boys in the family and three girls. And um, yeah, as far as uh, the fishing side of it and the hunting side of it, mate, that was all. That was all. Uh, it sort of just happened. It, it, yeah. Um, well, it was a natural thing, you know. We spent our whole life out. There wasn't a lot to do on the island. There wasn't, um, you know, we were seven of us in a clan and um, and uh, hunting and fishing was just second nature. Uh, we spent all our time doing it, mate. Sounds like a familiar upbringing to myself, mate. Although I wasn't stuck on a little island. <laughs> yeah, no, it was, it was, when you were kids, before you got a driver's licence and all that sort of thing, anything that was within walking distance or riding your push bike, the, the jetty in Kingsgate used to get a, a real thrashing with, with, um, we all spent our time down there fishing and that sort of thing, and it was, um, I, I've got to, got to say, it was a great way to be brought up. Yeah, I agree. I agree. I like, I, I know we've talked about it before on the phone and stuff like this over uh, the, the last few years, but, um, you know, the, the old days when you could actually carry your, your little 22 down the street, you know, and things like this, and, and, uh, no one used to kind of batter an eyelid. It was just like, well, you know, whatever, mate. You know, he's he's a kid. Get off, off he's going to get some rabbits. Yeah, it was. It was. Um, if you did it now, mate, you'd be tracked down by the star force. But I can still remember pedalling off on the push bike with the, da- uh, the old days, the air rifle over your shoulder, and yep. every starling and every every little bird around town was in trouble. But <laughs> mate, well, it, 
was and it was such a great thing. You know, it was it, you know you spent all your time doing it, and it was um, it's just a shame that it can't be like that now. But things change, I suppose. Yeah, yeah, you're not wrong. Um, what about um, Merton Brothers, mate? What what is the uh, obviously you guys are on Instagram. Um, You've got a, a you know a lot of videos that you guys put up on on uh, YouTube and stuff like that. What's the kind of background of the Merton Bros or Merton Brothers kind of um, you know I guess profile that you guys have? Well, that all sort of started. My older brother Rob um, has always written for all the outdoor magazines years ago. There was the Sporting Shooter magazines and. Um, He's been doing that for years and always had an interest in taxidermy. He's a full-time taxidermist now here in South Australia, but yeah. I sort of tagged along with him as from a, you know, I was I was with him when we, I shot my first animal and, and um, you know, I was carted around behind three older brothers, mate, pig shooting and, and guy shooting and stuff on Kangaroo Island and it was, uh, it sort of went from there. Rob did a, a lot of writing back in those days and, um, and, and that was all good fun too. It was all done on the island uh, yeah. until I moved up to the mainland. But, yeah, that's sort of how it got underway. And, and we've always hunted together. Um, my brother Rob and I hunt fairly exclusively together. I've hunted with other blokes. But, um, you know, you, you get to you get to know one guy you're hunting with and, and, and what he does and how he hunts and that sort of thing. And um, we've just always done it. Yeah, yeah. It's pretty good to hunt with family too, though. Yeah, it's kind of the same with us, hunting with family just all the time. Yeah. We don't really hunt with many other people. No, no. And it's it, you, you kind of know what to expect when you're hunting with family, you know. You, you, there's no... There's, um, no surprises. Yeah, like there's, yeah. And you know that they're going to be safe and you know that, you know, you're going to have a good time and... Yeah. It's just... Like yeah, the trust thing. yeah, I know what you mean. The, the whole trust thing, too. I mean, you can trust, yeah. mate. You've got guys that I trust impeccably with. Yeah. With hunting, I've watched you guys ever since I made contact with you the first time, Rob, and yeah. always admired. I've admired anybody who takes their kids hunting. Um, you know, it, it's because there is no future if we haven't got the kids to do it and the grandkids and all the rest of it. And, and um, yeah. You know, I've, I've tried to bring my kids up. I've never forced it on them because if they don't want to do it, it just pushes them away. But yeah. I'm very lucky in that my kids always want to hunt too, most of them. So. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and your, your young fella's pretty full on into it as well. Oh, he loves it, mate. He's, um, it, it gets to the, the point, he's just moved to Queensland for his work, or his partner's moved up there for, she's, um, something to do with the medical the medical um, side of things she's at uni in brisbane they've just moved up there and um, yeah things are very restricted up there and he's finding it he's he's ten, he's housebound at the moment and I'm, I, I must get 20 messages a day on you know <laughs> to go and do something but yeah i really feel for him because it's um it's fairly tied down up there and but this this whole thing's changed the way we look at hunting and in general, and any outdoor sport, I think. Yeah, that's right. What's yeah. it like for you guys over in South Australia at the moment? Is it pretty restricted for hunting yeah, and fishing? Well, it, it's a sensible thing. Um, it, it's not as restricted as all the other states by the sound of it, but then we haven't got the population here either, and we're spread out a bit more. I think that makes a difference. Yeah. It's, um, you know, they're not, they're telling people, most people are staying fairly sensible about it all. They're, they said over Easter that they didn't want people going away, and and I know guys that did, but they all 
they weren't self-sufficient. They didn't drop into um, little towns on the way. I think that's what they were mostly worried about. The people would go and go from different areas. And yeah. We most of our hunting's only two and a half, three hours away, and it's um, you know it's not a build-up area at all. And as long as you stay away from, I think that's what they wanted. As long as you just stay away from country stores, you don't drop in and buy fuel and food and, yeah. and um, just a sensible thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's pretty much the same here in Taz because what they initially that there was kind of three or four days where there was complete chaos and confusion. There was. The Premier was saying one thing, um, and uh, and I don't think any of them had really collaborated to the point yeah, where they... the departments were saying a completely other thing. Yeah, because the Wildlife Services, that's right, what uh, what Tash was saying there, that um, Wildlife Services were saying, no, you can't go anywhere. We've been instructed to make sure that, you know, for all intents and purposes, things are closed down for yeah. the moment. All of the public land was closed, basically. Yeah, and, um, and then, lo and behold, within, like, two or three days, there was a kind of several confusing messages that come out and then the premier basically came out on video and said no you can go hunting and uh whether they decided this you know kind of after the bit of confusion that went on but um uh, he, he he basically said you need to if you leave on the day you need to return that day um and so you can't, so can't camp, camp overnight. And same deal, they, they'd prefer that you didn't, you know, you use your local facilities and services um, and um, and you don't make any unnecessary stops. Yeah, I understand why they've done it. I mean, you've got to... I know there's a lot of lot of people out there, a lot of folks out there that are really confused and, and uh, they hear all the different things, but it's... Um, you can't expect them to be any other way. You use New Zealand as an example, right? I've been talking to a couple of guys in New Zealand and there's talk of them lifting their restrictions on hunting and public land in New Zealand, but I suppose they're... And I, I can understand both sides of it. Yeah. Um, they, they don't want guys tearing out in the bush and getting hurt and having the emergency services having to look after them. Everybody says that, um, you know, you, you couldn't be more isolated and away from people out there, but... The, the other side of the coin that you can get hurt or, you know, something gets lost and people have to go and look for them. I suppose that's what they're looking at too. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I completely understand that side of it, but at the same time, if we say that, yeah, it's fine that we can't go hunting and we can't go fishing and all that kind of stuff, what happens later on when we say it's an, actually an essential for us to do and they're like, well, it wasn't before? Like, is that going to hurt us later on? Yeah, I know. I know what you're saying, Tash. It's, um, it's, it's. I, I think it'll be all right the other side, but it's, um, yeah, it's a bit worrying. You, you worry whether you know. Well, you didn't need to do it before. Well, why do you have to do it now? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think the the biggest concern, even in New Zealand, and I've I've done the same. I've spoken to a couple of blokes over there myself, and and even here in Australia. I mean, one of the biggest concerns was when the states and obviously New Zealand themselves, they like. Um, you know, all of a sudden you heard all these commentaries coming out from ministers and various different people in government saying, well, gun stores have got to close and this has got to close and that's got to close and and, um, and hunting shut down. And the, and the fear associated with that is that are they shutting it down and not going to let it reopen? And, uh, you know, that, that was kind of the chatter that was hitting all the social media channels for quite a while, a couple of weeks, about, you know, Oh, you, you know, you can turn this stuff off, but 
then when will they allow it to be turned back on kind of thing. Yeah, yeah, you're worried that how it's going to come out the other side. I'm just, surely there's enough of us now. Surely it's a big enough industry now in Australia. I know it's it's getting bigger and, and things like what you do with the hump shake thing, it, it makes it bigger and, and, and gives us a better, a better showing in the community. And you'd like to think that that's, you know, going to come out the other side, that it's, uh, it's not just a... I mean, some guys trophy hunt, some guys meat hunt, meat hunt and, and, you know, it, it's it's not just a... You don't have to do it just to get a feed for the freezer. You, you, it's a... It's a um, guys that have hunted all their lives and go, especially guys in the city that only get their one or two trips a year. It's yeah. A, it's a, it's, it's a, it, in your head thing. That, yeah. Um, they'll suffer from not being able to do it. It's, it's a, yeah... Yeah, absolutely. It's definitely like I've said this all along that hunting is a cultural thing, and you you yeah. learn that culture. You become part of that culture when you take up hunting, and um, and you grow with it. You, you never stop growing. You know that the whole idea of what you do as you as you move through your hunting experience. You know, um, you continue to grow and learn and understand and and. You know, and it's not it's not just like an a kind of uh, I'm not one of those guys that puts it like you know that that whole um, you know self help type thing where you know you're trying to you know I don't know all the power lifters and all these guys out there like you know even your Cam Haynes and whatever. And I don't no disrespect to Cam Haynes, he's a bloody legend, but you know th- this kind of super motivational, you know, over the top, really full on. You know, um, this is why you do what you do, and it's a hundred percent. But behind all of that stuff, all of that noise, and all of that activity, there is a genuine culture associated with with hunting that becomes the core of what you want to do for the rest of your life. You know, and it's not like something that um, that you need to pick up every day it's not something you need to do every single month but it's something that you know you will look forward to doing and it becomes part of your process of survival and life um to do that you know part of your mental process you know and uh and i think that's where you know a lot of people that are not involved with hunting just don't understand that side of it that it that it really is a culture that you adapt to and you become a part of no matter what age you start. Oh no, for sure. No, it's and it's it's not even the actual taking of an animal, it's not even the hunting side of it. It can be something as simple as guys that get together take for instance the rut that we're in now and, and they get together as a it, it, take the hunting right away from it. It's the camp and the camaraderie and, yeah. and the the years and it, it, it feels like you've lost a leg and it and I'm pretty sure that it's it's the same with this going on. It's a bit the same for fishermen. Um, or whether you play, whether you're an avid golf player that can't go into his... You take anything away that's a, a, such a big part of your life. Yeah. And, and I think it's, it's just... Um, it's it's to the core and it's... Uh, you know, it, if that's all you do, if you don't... If you don't play footy and you don't, you haven't got a big social life and you don't go to the pub or you, and you look forward to certain times of the year, whether it's the rut or whether it's a wapiti babbit in New Zealand or it's, you know, any, any time of year that it's, and you take that away, um, and this is taken away, we can't do anything about yeah. it, but it's, uh, you know, it's, 
it's a, such a big part of your life that it's it's more than just the hunting side of it or the fishing side of it. It's the it's the social side of it too. So. Yeah, yeah. You know, interestingly, um, this this uh, past season for us, the the stag season here. Um, I ended up dropping my stag the second last day of the season. Only a tiny little fella, but good enough for the, plenty good enough for the table and for the shed. Um, but um, while I was out there one of the days, um, I met up with this guy. Actually, two, three, three fellas, three older fellas. Um, two of them were eighty-two, and one was eighty-one. And, uh, and, and these guys, um, two of them had been hunting together for near on 50 years. Yeah, and the true, stories true. they told, mate, I tell you, just sitting there over a campfire with them that night, because I came across them, you know, I'd walked several kilometres, and I seen these cars, you know, in the distance, and, um, and I thought, well, you know, there's not going to be anything near here now that I'm, I've, I've found a couple of cars, so... Um, yep. I um I, I rocked over to say hello and he, lo and behold here's these old fellas. One of them one of them um has a hard time seeing. So he's got a, his next door neighbour comes hunting with him. He doesn't hunt. His next door neighbour is eighty two also. He comes he brings him out, drives him out to where they go hunting every year for the stag season. He um he then goes with him because he's he's he can see through his scope and he can actually shoot. And he's he's actually a very very good shooter, um, and uh, but his eyes are not good enough to see distances. So the guy spots the deer for him. I mean, one of them. <laughs> so both both of them eighty two, and the other bloke the other bloke. So this is old Mick, and his next door neighbour's Dennis, and then the other bloke's also named Dennis, and they're between the three of them. There's you know, bloody you know two hundred and what is it, 240, 250-odd years, you know, uh, between the three of them. They're all over 80. And uh, and they're all out there flipping, you know, having a go, just hunting along, and they've been doing it for 50 years. Yeah, you know, can you imagine taking that away from them? And, and regardless of the hunting bit, can you imagine taking that sort of hunting heritage away from those guys and they, they can't do it? They're yeah. not yeah. I'm pretty sure that they wouldn't be able to understand restrictions and, and all the rest of it. Yeah. It must be quite hard to, to be able to understand that. But, um, yeah, that's a, a good, bloody good story, though. I like that. I, I do think one of those. I've had an extra set of eyes, and I'm only 55. <laughs>
has uh, that's been integrated in that for that for the for the entire time that he's he's been hunting. to um, drop off the mints and everything. And we were there for hours listening to Mick's stories and it took Dennis, the neighbour, telling Mick to shut up because everyone needed to go to sleep. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's, it's so good. The things like that are just so good, for, especially for, for young hunters to listen to. And yeah. Because you don't just hear the, the how big a animal you shot story and you don't, there's no, there's no, um, there's no ego involved in a lot of those, you know, the older hunters and that, that, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it was bloody good fun, and we'll we'll definitely be hooking up with him at at some stage through the year. So, um, what what like what restrictions do you guys currently have in South Australia? Like, uh, are you allowed to hunt and camp? Yeah, well, uh, they've, they've mainly made it just like I said, the sensible things. There's social distancing. There's, yeah, um, we've got no restrictions. You can drive two or three hours, and as long as you're not all together in a, in, a, in a group. I think it's, I'm not sure what the gathering rule is here at the moment. I know it's two in some of the eastern states and that sort of thing, but I think they've, they've lifted the restrictions, not lifted the restrictions. I think that the restriction here is 10 people as long as you're social, um, as long as you're not, you know, sitting within, you're going to sit within 1.5 metres and that sort of yeah, thing. Yeah, yeah. Um, because we notice it at the moment, we've got a, a little grandchild on the way in August. Yeah. And, just small things like, you know, my missus wants to go around and sit with our daughter and talk to her about, as they do, about having the baby and all that sort of thing. And it's very hard and it affects every every walk of life. It doesn't matter yeah. what part of your life. Yeah. You know. But we aren't, we aren't as restricted as, as the eastern states. I know that for a fact. Um, uh, but it's still, you know, it's... As long as you're doing the right thing, the police and that have been really good here. We went, I went two and a half hours the other day, and we pulled up at a, a roadblock. Yeah. Um, down in the southeast, which is two and oh, that's only an hour and a half from my place. And the guy didn't ask to see your license. I'm sure he saw your number plate. And all he asked was, "Have you been across the border?" Um, and you know, asked a couple of questions, and we're on our way. So. You know, that'd be, that'd be, that'd be the hardest job on the planet at the moment, though. Yeah, yeah, I'd reckon. Yeah. yeah. Because there's so many people that aren't happy. There's so many people that are, and it's not their fault. Yeah, you know, it's, yeah. They're just trying to stop this thing, and it's the, you know, we all know how bloody evil and, and wicked this whole thing is, and the sooner it's over, the better. But, yeah. Um, and it will be over. And yeah. There, there's an upside to all of it. The, I, the first thing I thought of was, how good's the hunting going to be next year? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yep. There's a, there's, there should be a lot more animals roaming around that um, wouldn't have necessarily been. But that that's also, like I was speaking to one of the blokes um, in New Zealand, and, and he was saying to me, uh, we were kind of just messaging over Instagram, and 
he was saying his concern is the government's already putting through um, their um, applications for culling. Yeah. And... Uh, and he said his concern is, and that, and this is something that the ADA, New Zealand ADA, or something, has to take up at some stage. He believes that um, that they need to um, basically check this out, like with a fine tooth comb, because he, he's concerned what they're going to do is try and push it through something like the tar coal, which they tried to push through, you know, a year and a half or so ago, um, without anybody really having any any ability to do anything about it. And uh, yeah. and and they're going to use COVID as an excuse of why that why they can do it. Yeah, I've, I've heard the same sort of whispers about the powers that be will um, make the most of a bad situation. You'd like to think that they wouldn't do that, but yeah, you would. I mean, the animals, as we all know, animals across Australia have copped a fair hide, and we all understand that the culling of animals needs to be done. But you'd like to think that that wouldn't happen, but who knows? Yeah. Yeah, I think that um, one of the things that gives, certainly here in Australia, one of the things that gives me a lot of hope is that, you know, when I grew up as a kid in the Central Tablelands in New South Wales, um, you know, finding deer was hard. It was really hard. I mean, you're talking about you might hunt for a couple of months and only see sign and, and, and maybe a few deer in the distance. They were super timid. Um, you know, they were generally escapees. Um, and uh, and there were a couple of different kind of herds and stuff like this around, but they were small packs and, and, and not, not large at all. If you wanted pigs or goats or kangaroos, you'd find them any day of the week. Um, but, but deer, on the other hand, were hard. It was really hard hunting for deer when I, when, when I was a teenager. And, and I, I, I shot my first deer when I was about 14. And, uh, and it was just a doe, and I really didn't even know what to expect when I shot it, you know. Um, and, uh, and, it, and it then took me, I think, four years before I shot another one. And, uh, and it was purely because they were very scarce. But, but now I think that the proliferation of deer throughout Australia is amazing. I, I think that we've got a lot of large pockets of deer. Um, they're not easy to get to, all of them. Um, and if you if you're only seeking massive heads, then of course you know they're going to be rare, um, and they're rare not because of any other reason, but you know they're they're not you know they don't just grow on trees you know, and uh, and there's something that you really have to yeah you really have to seek and put the time in to get something like that. But if you want to hunt deer, the opportunities here are enormous, and oh, yeah. like never before. You know, no, it's, it's definitely better. You've only got to look at the, back in the heyday when the old, you know, um, some of the old outdoor riders and stuff. But, uh, you can see a deer; they'd shoot a, a buck, and it was like um, something really special. Yeah. And, and the hunting scene is definitely a lot better now than what it was 20, 30, 40 years ago. And, yeah. And, um, and we can be grateful for that. So yeah. You know, and it just when you talk about culling becoming um, more frequent and that sort of thing. Uh, I'd like to think it, it won't happen anywhere. They will keep coming deer in Australia, but um, well, I think we'll still have it better than we had it, like you said. Yeah. yeah. In the past, it'll still be good. And it's great for Tash and, and, and her little one. And, you know, 
grandkids and that sort of thing. I'm sure there'll be something here to other than I think there is. Yeah, yeah. Well, I don't think they're going to get rid of them out of Tasmania anytime soon. I can yeah. tell you, the fellow here are deep, deep in, integrated into the in, into the bush. And um, the only thing that scares me is their use of 1080 still. Yeah. Um, that's the only thing that gets the wind up me. Yeah, the, the 1080 thing is um, poisoning of any animal. And I don't, I like to think of myself as, even though I'm a hunter, I'm still a conservationist. And yeah. I thought of something, you know, being poisoned. To, to cull something is one thing. But yeah. to poison something, you wouldn't poison a pet animal in the backyard if it was old. Yeah. You'd have yeah. it down. But, you know, it's, um, yeah, that's, that's a real worry. Yeah. And a lot of people are like, well, what's the difference? They're dying anyway. But there, there's a huge difference between shooting something and poisoning something. Poisoning something, it takes so long for them to actually die, and it's horrible. I hate 1080. Yeah. I think it's disgusting. Yeah, any, any sort of poison. You've only got to look at what they've been through in New Zealand over yeah. the years, and they're still fighting it. But you, you young ones need to just keep fighting that, Tash. Yeah, yeah. I would much keep rather them... Like, if they, instead of paying for poisoning and stuff like that, pay some hunters to go out and cull them. The exactly. hunters would actually pay for it, yeah. to be honest. And well, it's... We've got the same thing here. It's, we've got all these big parts and that sort of thing. And, and, and rather than, I know it'll be hard to organise and, and, and getting groups of guys or groups of people together. And, but it's been proven in the, uh, in the parks you can hunt in New South Wales and Queensland and those sort of places that it can be done. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, Queensland's got probably the only um, great achievement they've made in hunting in recent times is that SSAA program, which I know a lot of guys criticise as well. But um, that you can't uh, take the, meat from it. The farmers, no, they've got the farmers. Oh, the farmers um, one, yeah. The farmers program, whatever it is, that yeah. um, you can. They've got a, a whole heap of private land that um, that you can register and. And uh, and then go and hunt on the, on those to, for the purpose of culling and stuff like this, um, which I think is great because Queensland, for all for all intents and purposes, other than that, is almost completely closed down to public land hunting. Oh no, exactly that. And I've always reminded that uh, what are they called the the rich group up there in Queensland doing what they do and that sort of thing. Yeah, but there's so many grey areas, you know, the, the one thing I've never been able to understand, I don't get political when it comes to hunting, I try and pull my head in and, and not get, you know, too far into that sort of thing, but I, I can't understand a country where in you've got all these states, you've got a, a, a state like Tassie, and I've hunted in Tassie years ago and, uh, and always thought that, that the, um, the season thing is a great idea, but we've got one, one state in Australia where you've got a season and you're not allowed to hunt deer outside that that period, yeah. but the rest of the states, it's open slather and they can cull as much as they like and shoot as much as they like, and I, I, while it's a good thing, I'm quite grateful for the fact that we can hunt 12 months of the year and we can, you know, we can shoot a deer for the table in in, um, in the middle of summer if we want to go and shoot it, or we can shoot one in the rut, or we can hunt all winter, yeah. but um, that's one thing I've never been able to understand, but yeah. Yeah. Yeah, the disparity between the states is is um is amazing. Uh, we've we've actually as like as part of you know what we're doing with with I am Hunter many times and and Hunt Shack of course, but many times we've sat down and we've tried to um kind of put together what we think is is the is the regulations or requirements around each state. And I know that um, 
my wife back has, has spent a lot of time and effort and even rang you know various different agencies and stuff like this trying to find out what is the go in each of the states Half and even the when agencies you talk, don't know yeah even when you talk to a lot of these agencies they're not completely sure um about the requirements and regulations and this has got nothing to do with covid this was pre-covid and exactly. uh and and because the disparities between state to state is complete, it's just there's no similarities, you know, between a lot of them. Um, I think probably New South Wales, Victoria, and, and South Australia have kind of the closest um, regulatory, you know, arrangements. Um, and then NT has kind of their own thing, um, which is almost completely open. Um, and then you've got, um, you know. Western Australia and Queensland, who are, for all intents and purposes, you know, not supporting hunting, certainly not publicly um, at all. And then you've got Tassie, who runs this little isolated tag system. <laughs> and, uh, and yeah, uh, you know, yeah, which is, you know, it, it would be nice to have one kind of, um, I think, um, centralised federal um you know, grouping of it, but I don't, I don't see it happening because no. it doesn't. There is no model for that, even even out of the states, and um, because in the states, every every state is different. Yeah, even different counties over there are different. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. But when you look at it in Australia, even the gun laws, um, the firearms laws, and that sort of thing, they they all differ so much, and. You think they could get that together at least? The you know, yeah. When you talk about firearm storage; it's different everywhere. And with with um, yeah, I'm no, I, I don't know the all the ins and outs of that, but I, I've spoken to people that have moved into state and had trouble, and you know, guys that have had a gun license all their life and they've got to move into state one state over, and they've got to turn around and do a TAFE course and get another firearms license. You know, I, I can't understand that side. Yeah. Yeah. I Am Hunter is a website where you can go to learn all about hunting. We advocate for hunting by writing articles, giving people evidence for why hunting is beneficial, um, all different types of hunting. And it's also a platform where you can go and find lots of different educational content to either improve your skills or to learn how to hunt. Um, we have a membership available as well for I Am Hunter, and that supports us to produce the content that we do and keep all of that available for free. And in return, our members get discount codes and they are a part of our monthly giveaway. Um, and we also give away a hunt every year to one lucky member, just to say thank you for their support. I'm going to change the subject a bit here, Craig, because I'm tremendously jealous. Um, and uh, last, last year, um, you took off and left us um, and, and went over to... My favourite place in the world. <laughs> And I, I decided, I decided we would pre-book our New Zealand hunt um, for the for the raw this year um, for us all to get over there. And I and paid... he promised me that we'd go to Africa in July. <laughs> I, I, I prepaid prepaid for that trip and uh, decided not to go to Africa myself um, last year. Yep. And uh, and so lo and behold, COVID nineteen, um, yep. our trips cancelled. And uh, and any trip kind of in the near, in the near future, future is, is pretty much cancelled. So I, I think it'd be really great to hear about how you went in Africa, mate. Yes, because I haven't been on an overseas hunt in two years now. And my last one was Africa. Well, it slowed you down a bit, didn't it? 
Yeah, just a little. <laughs> no, it was worth it. No, the, the whole African thing, and I see, um, like you guys, your passion for, for hunting Africa, it's just, it's like America, it's it's so accepted over there, but the, the place itself, I mean, I've only been there the once, and I've got um, sort of ties with cruiser safaris over there, it's, yeah. that's because I've always wanted to be involved in it, but the people talk about Africa and and I've wanted to go there since I was a little kid reading all those old African hunting books that were always, you know, all the articles in magazines on all the old African hunters. And, and it's just an, another place. I say there's that the smell of Africa. Well, I thought, what a load of rubbish until I got there. And it's, yeah. you know, it, it's just such a, the people and the sounds and the, and the animals, if you like, and abundant, whether it's hunting them or just looking at them, um, the abundance of different game and, and sort of knowing all the species, it's just a, yeah. You see something new every single day. Oh, for sure. No, it's, and it's the, the people there, if it's not, if it's not um, hunting a different animal every day or seeing a different animal, it's watching the guys that work. And the industry is just so big, and I've always had an interest in that too, that that, that whole industry over there which runs on hunting um, and, and the things you learn. Uh, I spent a lot of time down in the skinning shed with those guys because I've got a real interest in it. And, um, yeah, just such a brilliant place. Their skinning sheds and salting sheds are next level. They are just amazing. That was something that we don't have anything really like that here, but you walk up and they've got a whole big, like, cabin and it's just the, the floor is salt. And it's all for skins. And everything's used too. That's what I, before I went over there, I didn't understand that. I don't think you really understand it until you've been there and seen it. But yeah. I think it's wasted. All, a lot of people think, you know, oh, how barbaric. And, it's and so heavily criticised, isn't it? But people don't actually know. And I don't understand. Ignorance is such a horrible thing because it's, I got there and I saw that the amount of people that meet uh, feeds, you know, it might only be, and I know they said it was worth very little, but you know, a guy comes over there and spends thousands of dollars on a hunt. It goes back, it employs all those people. The meat goes out cheaply and feeds people, and nothing's wasted. Like every bit of meat that wasn't, you know, badly shot up, like if it was bruised up or everything was used. And by the time we left, mate, there was a there was a, a cool room full of meat that was all being sold. I don't know how much it was. Don't quote me on it, but it was yeah. it wasn't a lot of money. But it was all made into salami and all these small goods, which fed people that didn't have a lot of money. And that is that is brilliant. Yeah. But that, that's the thing. Like, to us, yeah, that meat won't be worth a lot of money. But to them, it's worth everything because that's their livelihood. That's that's how they survive, eating meat like that. And taking that whole industry away, it means people just don't survive anymore. Exactly. They're going to really feel it bad over there now. Like, I keep in touch with them, as you guys do with people in Africa and... And this thing is going to knock them around really badly. Like that whole country, from top to bottom, runs on hunting, uh, and which is such a great thing. But this this whole virus thing is going to it'll knock it around. It'll come back out the other side, and there'll be guys clambering over people clambering over themselves to get back over there. But that doesn't help them in the meantime. Yeah. Uh, well, it goes right down the line to taxidermists. I was talking to a young taxidermist down. Uh, in southern Africa the other day, and he's he, he's just an, uh, a guy that works in a taxidermy place here. I've got to know, and um, he said it'll be a long time before you know that work comes through and they start getting taxidermy. But that I mean it must involve 
all the tourism because a lot of hunters go and have a side trip afterwards and go to oh America. absolutely yeah. every time we go we go for a month yeah and we go to you the know. market and so we're so. only generally hunting for kind of 10 maybe 15 days and the rest yeah. of the time we're out and about yeah well that must affect like you said those little markets and all that sort of thing there'll be no hunters are a great tourists and I know when I go away on a trip I like to whether it's you know, Tassie or whether it's New Zealand or whether it's Africa, I like to go and see something before or after my hunt. And I spend money and, and go places that I wouldn't normally go. So, that, yeah, they'll be really badly affected, I think. Yeah, yeah. yeah. What, um, can you tell us a bit of a story about one of your hunts over there that, that you remember well? Well, probably the one that comes to... Um, yeah, no, I probably shouldn't tell you, but I'm going to tell you anyway. Um, <laughs> One of my favourite kind of stories. Yeah. One of my older brothers last year. Yeah. And yeah. Michael, and he was he was another man. He was just a rough bushy, and and he loved his hunting and his fishing and stuff. And we talked about it for a long time that we were going to go together. Yeah. Um, and and uh, if my voice starts croaking, it's because I've got a bit of a sore throat now. Oh. <laughs> um, no, no, he, he was meant to come with me. And what actually happened was where I. One of my first hunts, I shot a, a, a really good water buck out of a blind because at that time it had started raining and animals had spread out. So we didn't think we had much of a chance on a, on a, um, a water buck at the blind. But um, anyway, we, we had our hunt in this little blind over a little patch of water and we got a really good water buck. Yeah. And the, I, I sort of felt like me, uh, my brother was there with me. Yeah. Michael yeah. was there with me. And, and this was... Um, like the first part of the hunt, and Craig Diplock, my hunting guide with the cruiser, he one afternoon he was up there clambering around after I'd shot my water buck. He was up there, and it was a great hunt. And the animal came in, and we got it all on film, and it was fantastic. And I was over the moon with it. Yeah. Um, and, and Craig was up clambering around in a in, in a shed, and I wondered what he was doing. And he came down with a little piece of timber, and what he was doing. Was he? He got this piece of timber and he burnt. He, he burnt in a mixed blind. Yeah. Um, I wasn't going to say anything about this because it's a, a family thing. It's a personal thing. But like I said, my brother wanted to hunt there. He was the same as me. He just wanted to go to bloody Africa and shoot a warthog. That's all he wanted to do. Um, and he didn't get to go. So yeah. I made sure I went last year, sort of in his memory a bit. Yeah. And, um, yeah, this buddy hunting guy, he, he turned around and burnt mixed blind in this <laughs> old piece of the wood, and it's now tacked up there in that blind forever. <laughs> That's so, bloody fantastic. You know, it, it's just a little story, and it, it only really means something to me, but, it, you know, it, all I could think of while I was sitting over there, you know, was him sitting there with me, and, and it's... That's where hunting becomes a real personal thing. It's not. It doesn't always have to be what you hunt for. Yeah. You know how, how big the trophy is. It's the guy you go with, or the you know whether you take your missus and it's something you've always wanted to do, or you cart your kids along. Yeah. It's um, you know, it's a special, and they make you feel really welcome. You know, there wasn't one time when I was over there that I felt they make you feel safe. Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, I think I came back about 10 kilo heavier because the food was just absolutely <laughs> I feel that. Yeah. Yeah. I only had one real problem there, and that was every bush wants to rip your skin off. Yeah. Oh, yeah, you don't wear shorts. They yeah. all wear shorts, but I, I think they've got, like, elephant skin or something like that because the bushes over there, everything has thorns. 
Yeah, no, I, I, I actually did a little bit on on video, and I was going to put it up somewhere. as Africa's aggressive plant life. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I wore shorts, and I ended up looking like I'd been attacked by some wild animal by the time I'd been there. But, uh, I, still, I still sit and think about it. I sit and look at it on, you know, on the computer, the footage I've got and that sort of thing. Yeah. And it was just, it was under the lifetime. And while, you know, we've all got dream hunts we want to go on, that was one that I've, I wanted to, I think since I read my first Tarzan comic as a kid. Yeah, um, yeah. You know, and, and to watch, I watched all the stuff when you guys go over there and the, the girls out bow hunting, Tash out bow hunting and that sort of thing. And it, there's just so much to do there and so many, and like I said, if you're not hunting, you can be up at a national park or something. Just just a fantastic place. Yeah. 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 Yeah, it's amazing over there. And, and it's any type of hunting that you want to do. I mean, it's not just hunting in a blind or spot and stalk hunting or hunting out of a car. You can do anything over there. Exactly, yeah. They, they, there was more time spent talking about what we wanted to do. And the, the three guys I went with, I mean, there was a bow hunter and there was a couple of rifle hunters and there was a, well, there was a father and son. And it was just to see the whole... Um, and it wasn't just the hunting, it was back at the lodge and, and then they'd take us out and look at the animals and their breeding programs and all that sort of thing and, you know, it, there was always something to do. Yeah. Yeah, I think when when we went over there, we got to feed some rhino and that was amazing because yeah. they had a rhino breeding program which was completely funded by hunting. So they, they hunted the plains game and all of the money from that went to breeding rhino. And we, we got to go out, um, Jess and I went out on the back of a truck and they had a huge big bale of hay that was meant to feed the rhino and buffalo and a whole heap of other animals. And one of the rhino came up the back of the truck um, on the flatbed and just put his horn under it and lifted it up and it scared the absolute crap out of Jess and I. We thought we were going to die. Yeah, I saw that bit of footage and there was a couple of nervous moments there by the look of it. Yeah, it yeah. was, it was. <laughs> and I was sitting was on the safe. truck. I was sitting on the truck behind him filming it and I'm going, holy crap, this, is, <laughs> this, could, this could turn really ugly really quick. Rhino just wanted some food. I, I think that one of the one of the most amazing things about going to Africa, and um, is just how close you can get to animals. Yeah. You know, and and these massive animals, and uh, and like over here, you can see some of them in a zoo, but they'll generally be kind of thirty or forty meters away. And um, and yes, you can kind of get an idea of what they're like. But when this thing is snorting a meter and a half away from your face, you know, and 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 you know, like when when the when the dance when Dog. we came in, when we oh. came, we, we first went into the property. They have this tiny and little the, Jack the Russell. And the rhino kind of followed the car, um, and we opened the gate and went through it. And the guy left the gate open. And of course, we, we parked and grabbed some stuff out, and it was just it was just a thoughtless kind of you know moment. And uh, and then he goes, "Oh, we probably better go and shut that gate, otherwise the rhino will get in the yard." Right. And next thing Such you know, you hear the, you hear the yeah, that's right. It's like what you know. I mean, that's not something you hear every day. You know, the rhino is going to get in the yard but anyway. Um, they don't look that big on National Geographic. Oh, they're huge. Man, they're, 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 that's exactly right. When you were so close to them and and you realise that the shoulders of this thing is at eye height, you know. Um, yeah. And, uh, you know, this little Jack Russell took off. 
and yeah. started trying to attack the rhino. <laughs> and we're just sitting there like, please, no. And the guide goes, don't worry, the rhino's eyesight aren't that good. So if you just stand there, it won't be able to see you. <laughs> it's like, I don't trust that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, they only, um, I heard a little bit, they talk about all the rhino conservation things when I was there and there's so much goes on behind the scenes over there with the rhino thing. Yeah. Um, you know, we, we, I saw a couple in a park we went to. Um, I only really had one nervous little moment with a, with a uh, cape buffalo while I was there and I was sitting over a waterhole looking for a, a big waterhole that I'd seen a couple of days prior. Yeah. And we put up one of those little pop-up um like a tent-type blind, one of those American-style pop-up blinds. Yep. And over this little, uh, like, concrete water trough it was, it was on a, on a cattle station next door, actually, and um, the Cape Buffalo that were on there didn't like us. I don't know whether it was just they didn't like something foreign in their paddock, but, um, yeah, I had a couple of moments with that because these things were coming right up to the... Uh, <laughs> right up to the block. And I actually said to the guy, I said, I really can't afford to shoot one of those things. I said, you'll be paying for it if I'm going to shoot it in self-defence. <laughs> <laughs> it, it was looking, they got them within about 20 feet to the point where you could see its, its nostrils flaring and you could tell what it was thinking. And when they talk about Cape Buffalo, they say they look at you like you owe them money. Yeah, yeah. that's right. I was yeah, saying that to Dad at one point. I'm like, why do they just look angry? Yeah. They're just yeah, a cow, yeah. right? Yeah. <laughs> I just had this horrible thought that I was going to end up buffalo, you know, toe jam or something. So <laughs> I was but the, the whole trip, I didn't feel unsafe. Yeah, Africa's got its unsafe places, but the, every, every, sorry, each and every safari outfitter over there, they're not going to take you to a place where you're going to be in danger. They want you to come back. And um, that's what I found too. The professionalism of it over there is just, Phenomenal. Yeah, yeah that's right. our, it's very mature, isn't it? Our guide is like family to us. Like, yeah. he's amazing. We've hunted it with him for, what, 11, 12 years now? Yeah. And, yeah, yeah. yeah it's just like a family relationship. And, like, I'd, I'd drive in the car with him, and these guys were driving in the car ahead, and we were just joking around. And yeah. It's just, yeah, the guys over there are amazing, and they make you feel safe and welcome and cook you amazing yeah. food. Too much food. Well, it's nothing they won't do for you. I, yeah. actually, I noticed that every morning when they'd come in at five, six o'clock, and my PH, Craig, said, Look, he'd, he'd say, Do you want a coffee? Nothing, nothing was. And I actually had to say to him, Look, how about I make you one? Yeah. yeah. So, I don't know whether that's because they get used to just hand, you know, um, looking after people waiting on hand and foot. But yeah. um, it almost felt embarrassing. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. I know, I know exactly what you're talking about. Well, you feel like saying, and they weren't a, that uh, the outfit I was with. They don't promote a lot of drinking. You've got alcohol there, and it's on tap. Yeah. And I'm not much of a drinker, but we'd sit down after after the hunt. You go and have a shower, or go and you know sit around the pool or something. And, and it was almost embarrassing to the point where you felt like saying, "Look, just sit down, and I'll get you a drink out of the fridge." Yeah. 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 You know, because uh, I don't know. Whether, I think that's why they like Australians over there so much too. That we seem very similar type people. Yeah, well, we're yeah, at the stage yeah. with our guide Willem that um, he's like, "Can you give me a drink?" Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I really like it because the reason I like going to both New Zealand and South Africa, other than like the obvious things, 
New Zealanders and South Africans are a lot like Australians in their sense of humour as well. And so we have a lot of fun joking around with our our guides because, I mean, we like to have a laugh. And it's good that they can take a joke. I really enjoy it. Yeah, I I tried to learn. I learned... um... I'll tell you one day my nickname in Afrikaans, but, but um, no, they, we, we had a, a really good time when we were there as far as, far as all that goes. We were, there was always a laugh to be had, whether you were on the back of the ute and your hat was blown off or, you know, just little things. Yeah, um, yeah. And we all like it too. And I know that it's, it's part of their business to make you want to come back. Yeah. But um, you can tell that it's not all just about the money it's it's genuine yeah we sat around their braai or their barbecue over night time and you know how much they love their barbecue um you know there was there was last had and and well yeah i suppose there's outfits over there that that uh, the only time you see the boss is when they you know roll up and they shake your hand and then when they take your money at the end of the hunt but i was very lucky and i'm sure you guys are too in that these people they got their whole family involved yeah um the whole family would be there for the barbecue and kids were involved and it was just, it was just fantastic. Yeah, that's right. No, they, they, like there are, I mean, obviously there, there's there's some bad stories, but in, in general, I think that, um, you know, especially South Africa and a lot of the other, you know, well, well-formed or more mature hunting, you know, areas like Botswana and, and Zimbabwe and stuff like that. Mozambique. Um, yeah, they, they have, the, the outfit is the next level. They, they're just, I mean, for... Uh, I think it, it, you you'd be hard pressed to make a mistake to get one of the guys that's you know not that flash, mm. um, and uh, because they are so well tuned to what they're trying to provide, and they, they actually enjoy it. it, they really enjoy it. And uh, I mean, one of the one of the the guys that he's a guide for for Willem who we've worked with for years. Um, I mean, um, I won't say he's he's. Um, <laughs> <laughs> he's got he's got a very very common saying which um you know we won't we won't say right now but um it, it starts with oh my and uh and there's a few expletives that, that, that add up add on to the end of that but um i mean he's been hunting with with Willem for I, don't, I think 15 or 20 years all up and he's been hunting himself for you know um oh, the best part of 35 nearly 40 years um and Willem's the same he's been hunting for many many years and they don't only know exactly what you know they want to achieve as far as the hunt's concerned. They're, they're talking through the plan. I mean, and what you what you hinted about before, that's just so common that they they sit there every night and go, righto, guys, listen, we want you know, there's obviously these animals that we're aiming to get, and and what here's the plans that we're going to try and put together to make sure that happens for us, you know. And if it doesn't, then then we'll try and do this, this, and this. And they're really kind of eager and keen. And, and this was exposed quite heavily with Tash um, while we were over there this last time because she was bow hunting and she wanted to spot and stalk the animal, 100%. Um, and, and even at one stage, the plan was because they convinced her, listen, this is not successful. We're yeah. not doing well. Let's try a hide, you know. And uh, and albeit, that, actually, that plan actually worked. She didn't well, yeah. shoot it out of a hide. She, shoot it, she shot the animal... After we left the hide. Yeah, after <laughs> Because left it was the hide. our last day and um, we'd been in the hide for a couple of hours and none of them had come close enough. We'd only seen like some smaller nyala. And uh, I was like, okay, guys, uh, 
can we leave this now and go back to the place that we were before? We yeah. can just walk there. And they were like, yeah, yeah. All right, let's let's have one last try. So we left the hide yeah. and there was Anyala right there on the riverbed where we were hunting last time. Yeah. So, yeah. And you can imagine for most people, they'd be sitting there and these guys are experts. They're, they're 110% experts. And they'd be sitting there thinking to themselves, what's our best chance? Yeah. And they ignore all that. They ignore all that and go, listen, these guys want to do this. Let's support it and try and make it work, you know. And they're just so good at that. They're really, really good at that, you know. And I think it takes a unique personality um, uh, to, to, be, to be that capable and willing. And, like and, a lot and, of the time they'll tell you when they don't think it'll work, but yeah. they'll do it for you anyway. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Most of them being hunters too made a big difference. And, and like you said, what they, they sort of, you can make a plan all you like and we'd sit around at the night time or in the morning before we went and they'd make a bit of a plan on what they wanted to do. But 10 minutes into it, it all change. And, and, and like you said, if you if you really wanted to hunt something spot and stalk, you could. Yeah. Um, you know, there was one area where we were that was, they called it the, um, I can't remember what it was, uh, Mini Serengeti or something they called it. It was a, and there was a lot of bush on the block we were on, but there was one little area that was, it was probably only four or five kilometres long, and it was just magnificent for spot and stalk. And I said to the guy, um, to Craig, my PA, I just said, I'd really like to just spend a day out there walking around with no set plan and just see if we can get a, a warthog or a, or a, um, or I was actually after a cooter or something like that. Yeah. And we ended up, we stalked all morning and got a, a, a Blesbok while we were there. Yeah. And it wasn't on the top of our list, but it was a fantastic stalk and he took a lot of getting and it was, he, he knew exactly what I wanted to do. I just wanted to, it was a few days into the trip and I just wanted to wander around in some semi-open country and glass a few animals and try a few stalks. Yeah. And he made sure he, and he put in a hundred, like he said, 110%. Yeah. And, uh, he got me exactly what I wanted, and it was like I said, it wasn't a huge big trophy with great big horns or anything like that, but just the day itself, probably the best day I had in the property. Yeah, 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 yeah that's fantastic. Oh, yeah, no, the whole thing went went off without a hitch. I can never say I can't say a bad thing about it, and the, the bit of the way they showed such respect for that thing with my brother, and and that made me realise that they do go above and beyond to make it. You know, you stay pretty good. And all the three guys that came with me, they all as well. So. Yeah, that's fantastic. That's really good. Mate, um, so you've so what, what animals did you actually hunt while you were over there? Um, what did I get? Uh, I probably shot the smallest warthog on the planet. But I <laughs> well, I haven't shot a pig or a warthog at all, so you're above me there. Well, this, I always wanted to get a moment on the list was a, a nice waterbuck, and I've got one of those. Yeah. And, uh, and I've got a, a waterbuck and impala, and I know impala are very common there, but I've just loved them, and I've always sort of associated them as an animal like fallow deer. They look very same size, and they've got the same characteristics. They they grunt like, and fallow deer are my favourite animal. Yeah. Um, and these things, they, they they put down a scrape like a fallow deer. They they they're, they're a little bit like fallow deer in the way they act. And so, yeah, I've got a good fellow. I've got a. Waterbuck. Um, I shot a zebra while I was there, and that was very, um, very controversial. But I shot it because I always wanted to shoot one. Yeah. Um, um, and that became very controversial. But I hunt. I hunt. In what? In what way, Craig? I, I put up something on on Instagram. Now, in a thousand posts on Instagram, yeah, I've never had 
because I've always tried to keep things, keep people off my back when it comes to hunting. I don't yeah. deliberately better. And some some guys have put themselves right out there, and that's fine too. But I've always tried to, and we I think that comes from when we used to do a lot of stuff in the magazines when my brother he'd shoot an animal, you made sure it was clean because. You don't want to make people stroppy. You don't want to make people upset with you. And, yeah. And the magazines didn't sell if they had, you know, photos that weren't quite right. Um, and I've always made sure that, you know, the blood, bit of blood was wiped off and, and it was respectful to the animal more than anything. I yeah, think. yeah. Um, and in a thousand posts I've put up on Instagram, I've never had one, oh, you murderer, or you, you know, you, you shouldn't be doing that. Yeah. Two seconds after putting a photo of a hunter's zebra, which was, um, and it's no different than a than a warthog, or it's no different to a, any other animal that you hunt over there. Yeah, just yeah. Yeah. a bit like a horse. Oh, exactly. And I got death threats, and you should be shot, and all this sort of thing. And you know that's fine. I didn't take the picture down because it's what I wanted to do. Yeah, and it was legal. And um, you know, if if you don't understand it, just don't look at the photo. That's all. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, but yeah. There are a few animals like that that people just get really, really upset with, you know. Uh, that, and to me, and uh, as Deborah is no better animal or worse animal than a an old wildebeest or an impala or a, any other animal. Yeah. Um, you know, it's just another animal. It all gets utilised. The meat's all used. The skin's used. That's right. Um, and I, well, I, it's not. You know, it wasn't the pick of my animals to. Uh, in Africa, I always I promised my Mrs. Tammy that I'd I'd bring her home a big she she likes uh, animal skins and that sort of thing and I said yeah. I'll bring you a, 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 um, a zebra skin and if that's what I wanted to do and it was legal and I paid to do it and you know it's um, that's that's what I wanted to do so I did it yeah yeah, yeah. absolutely so yeah but I did, did get uh, like I said I got me in parlor and me warthog um, me waterbuck zebra and a really good wildebeest. Um, they sort of, they're, as you know, Rod, right, they're a hard animal to judge. Oh, like, yeah. <laughs> you know, and, and I actually didn't know. We drove into the property. We'd been hunting for a couple of days, and I, and the, the, the actual boss of Cruiser Safaris came out with us because he wanted to come out for one hunt while I was there. Yeah. And he said straight away we clapped onto this thing as soon as we rolled up at the property, and he said, well, that's a really good one. And I'm thinking, you know, does he say this to everybody? Yeah, but, yeah. And then when, when we eventually hunted this thing and got it on the ground and we put it on the truck, he actually said, no, this is a really big one. And yeah. it was a, a really nice trophy and and, um, and one that I'm really glad I took while I was there. There's, I didn't want to shoot a great I mean, you can you can go there, for as you know, for a month and you can hunt 30 animals if you really wanted to. Yeah, but yeah. But I want to think I want to leave a few for the next time. Yeah. <laughs> There's a lot. There's a lot to get over there, Craig. I can tell you. And, yeah. Uh, no, well, there's, like I said, with the with the warthog thing, we hunted warthog really hard because it's the one thing, and I wanted to get one for my brother's sake, the brother that I, yeah. that I lost. Yeah. And we tried everything, and those things are all free range, and they're going under holes in the fences. That's and, right. Uh, Unstoppable. Rep- Same as your dikers and a lot of your smaller ones as well. Oh yeah, no, everything's sort of diving under fences, and I. Uh, I, this warthog thing really pestered me. For a few days, we saw a few, and it had rained. And like the pigs here, they split up and went everywhere. Yeah. And um, we walked into the bush, and this one day, and we saw this massive warthog. He had tusks sticking well out past his head, and 
the VA said to me, right, we're going to track him because the ground was quite, it had rained and you could follow a track really easy. Well, we walked in probably a kilometre and a half and saw him once more and couldn't get a shot. And the, the track split off from, from they all joined up with, a, with another mob of warthogs and the track split off one way, so he went and had a bit of a look. He said, stay here. Well, I looked up when he left me alone and saw this, what I thought was a world record warthog looking at me through a bush. <laughs> um, well, I've smacked the thing and it's run off and, and he's come over and he said, what were you shooting at? I said, that big warthog, he was standing just over there and he said, no, that's not the one, he went this way. <laughs> um, so I ended up shooting this little warthog and now look, I actually said to him, well, don't leave an Australia hunter in the bush by himself and this is what's going on. <laughs> Absolutely. You know, it's, it, um, we had to track him. He went a little way. I hit him a little bit far back and we had to track him. And, and even though that was only a little warthog, it was just it was something I've always wanted to do. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. Still a good hunt, nevertheless. I reckon I'll get a warthog next time. Really bad in the day. Yeah, yeah. No, good stuff. Um, I, I did have a... Oh, what, what... Did you take your own rifles? No, I didn't, right? I... Yeah, I remember. Actually, now I remember you saying to me, yeah, before you went, that you weren't going to do that. Yeah, well, I sort of. Well, I'm I'm doing the agent thing for Cruiser Safaris, and they tell me that you know, and it's so easy to get your own firearm into the country now, yeah. and you know, to get and all the rest of it. At the time, we're sort of self-employed, and I was really busy up in the lead up to our in the lead up to our trip, and I just wanted that. I wanted one less thing to worry about. Yeah. Yeah. You know, yeah. I wanted to jump on the plane with the other fellas, go over there, and as it turns out, I got to use an old, um, just about an iconic rifle over there, an old Bruno, 30 or 35-year-old Bruno 308. Yeah. Um, when I got there, it didn't even have a scope on it, so we, we put a scope, four-power scope on it, and I was really glad I used that rifle. It was, um, yeah, it was a brilliant old gun. It performed really well. Yeah. And let me do it. Oh, good stuff. Good stuff. So when, when, when's the next trip? You have no idea, I guess. <laughs> well, uh, Tammy and I were meant to go. We were going to go back this year. Um, yeah. And a little bit of time on the hunting and then... Because I'm, I'm... Apart from the hunting, I'm just interested in the whole the whole um, African hunting industry. And I wanted to go and have a look at a couple of different areas. And I've got to know guys down at Eastern Cape. And yeah. I wanted to go there and have a look. But... Um, yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah. Well, we wanted to go and have some fishing over there too. Yeah. Fishing's supposed to be yeah. pretty good. Yeah, no, the, 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 everything, everything's pretty good over there. To, um, I agree. It's, yeah. uh, it's, after seeing it, I mean, my, my dream hunt has always been to hunt Europe for like, somewhere like Hungary or for a fellow deer, but after being to Africa and seeing what it's got to offer, I'd, you know, I'd like to see different parts of the country and... and um, I'm so every time I talk to you, I'm so surprised how alike we are. <laughs> is that that's one of my dream hunts? Is Hungary to get to Hungary? That that and and Russia. No, I'm good with just going to Africa again. Yeah, Africa and North America. Africa. The whole um, the whole Hungary thing is just a fellow idea thing. I think yeah, I'm, yeah. Most blokes on it as other places that have opened up, but mm. and I know probably some of the best fellow deer hunting in Australia. Um, yeah, that's right. Just as 
far as the traditional side of fallow deer hunting goes, I'd like to hunt Hungary or something like that and see those big lakes where they've got 20 fallow deer bucks fighting over a handful of does and, yeah, and yeah. You know, experience all that. And regardless of, we all want to shoot a really big trophy, but and, and some of us have been lucky enough to get a big one here. Yep. But, um, you know, it's, it's more about the experience when it comes to hunting for me. It doesn't. And I've, I've had, you know, been lucky enough to shoot some pretty good animals and that sort of thing, but it's it's more the experience, I think. Right? Yeah, I agree. I agree. The only the only problem for me is what Tash was just saying. Then is every time I think about going somewhere else, Africa gets in the way. And uh, it, it, it is such an awesome place to hunt. I mean, what you've what we've talked about this kind of last half an hour or forty five minutes and. And, uh, it just makes me just want it, to go back Yeah, now. I know, I know. And immediately I sit there and I think, geez, I still want to go and, and, and hunt that diker. And uh, <laughs> I, I'm after I'm after a lot of the smaller animals. So um, I don't and, even know what I want to hunt over there. I just want to go back. Yeah, yeah. I There's, just love Africa so much. And, and it's a little bit like that. It's, it's not just the hunting side of it. I mean, it's we did, like you said, we did the... the um, National Park thing, you know, you know the whole tourist thing with the camera around your neck and yeah, and yeah. Saw, the and saw the rhinos, but we also saw. I'm a bit. I, I, I can't remember who said the all the dick dick and the smaller, the smaller. Um, the tiny ten. Yeah. We always saw little clips of bringers at the national park we're in and got right up close, and these were wild and free. These were, a, you yeah. know, a, an incredible little animal, and I really. Wasn't interested in the hunting one until I saw one. Now I can't wait to get back and have a crack at one. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly, exactly. I can't wait to take Amelia. I think yeah. it'll be awesome. Mm. Yeah. Take her to the zoo and yeah. Lion Park. I'm looking forward, looking forward to paying for all that. <laughs> one of the guys that came with me to Africa, he, um, they've got a little fella, and he's I don't know how old he is now. I think he's 18 months old. And when he approached me about coming over, and we we're going to do a sort of a hosted trip, a group trip together. And I contacted um, Cruiser over there and said, look, he really would like to bring his little fella and his wife. And they, they were more than happy to make yeah. you know, provisions to take a little bloke. And I thought at first, you know, well, maybe it's perhaps it's not the sort of place to take a little one, but, you know, I'd feel more than happy. Um, we were having, like I said, we are having a little grandchild in, in uh, later this year. Yeah. And I, I'd, feel, I'd feel quite safe taking him or her over there. And, yeah, you know, yeah. I wouldn't feel unsafe anyway. Yeah, yeah well, right. we take we took Jack with us last time, and he was probably three, mm. I think, and he absolutely yep. loved it. He talks about it all the time. Yeah. So mm. When are we going back to Africa? Yeah. <laughs> well, that's bringing kids into hunting thing that that, uh, and I love that. I love seeing you know whether it's whether it's taking a an elderly person on their first ever trip. I watch all these um, television hunting celebrities in the US taking their fathers or whether they're taking you know, the bloke next door taking his little kid rabbit shooting or something I love all that yeah yeah, yeah it's awesome well, Craig, listen, um, it's been an absolute pleasure to talk to you, mate, as it is always, and and um, and I certainly hope that at some stage in the near future we can um, we can get together and, and go for a hunt either either around my place or yours, um, and because uh, I reckon that'd be bloody awesome. Um, but um, you know, thanks for coming on and uh, and sharing some stories and some some details with us, mate. And uh, appreciate your your friendship, and uh, and certainly appreciate your efforts toward Australian hunting as well. Uh, 
Brett. No, it's been a pleasure, Rod. I, like I said, I'll, and I really do appreciate being asked to do this sort of thing. Well, I, you know, I don't think any any one person is a better hunter than another one, or whatever. And I don't know how colourful talking to a you know an old hunter like me is. It's it's just so good to to be able to talk to other hunters. It's not. It's not closed it down like it used to. It's not a hush hush. Yeah, like yeah, yeah. And, and seeing and you guys, um, it, there's a lot to be admired in what you guys do too. Spreading the word, um, you know, there's there's always something to talk about. There's always something to um, to, to be um, like all this thing when no one can go hunting and stuff. It's it's a bad thing, but I'm sure we'll come out the other side. And 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 I really appreciate being uh, being asked on to have a yak um, with both of you and. Uh, yeah, anytime, anytime. No worries, mate. Thanks, Craig. You're a champion. Right, Thanks, you, Craig. Bye. See you, mate. You, Have a good weekend. Bye. You too, mate. Well, that was Craig Merton from Merton Brothers. From Merton Outdoors. From Merton Outdoors. That's it. That's it. What a what a great chat and a, a really top bloke to boot. So, um, if you guys. Um, uh, you can uh, check him out on Instagram. Merton Outdoors. Uh, Merton, is his... Merton Outdoors. Yeah. Yep. And they're, they're also on YouTube as well. So jump on and give him a follow. Um, like he said, he, he's the agent here for Cruiser Safaris for, for Africa. And as you all know, we, we do a similar type thing through Hunt Shack with Africa as well. But they've got a great outfit fit that they support. And, um, and if you need any information about that, hit Craig up. Um, and, uh, and, you know, thanks very much for listening. So dad, when are we going back to Africa? I think we should have a look at the flight schedule now. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> We'd love for you to join us and help spread a positive message about hunting. Become an I Am Hunter member and help keep hunting alive for future generations. In return, get a free t-shirt, exclusive member discounts, and win great prizes, including an annual hunting trip. Last year, one member scored himself a buffalo hunt in the Northern Territory. This year, we're sending someone to South Africa. To join, go to iamhunter.net.